0: Father, teach us to be people that can trust you, God. You've been urging us to trust in you with our lives. Lord, help us to trust in you when things are hard, God, because we know you'll be faithful. You've proven that. So, God, I pray that you be faithful to speak to us this morning. Father, speak to us by your word. Challenge us, Father. Encourage our hearts. and we give our lives to you in trust. We pray this in the name of Christ, amen. amen. <clears throat> well, good morning, church. Good to see you guys this morning. You know, we, last week, Pastor Kevin and I challenged you guys to kind of join us in, a, in a, uh, a fasting time over this Lent season, and uh, we don't do this because we think we're going to earn points of God or God's going to like us better, but I want to just take this time to cast off some things that maybe have gotten in the way of our life So that we could draw near to God and hear from Him. And so I'd encourage you guys over the next six weeks as we begin to turn our eyes towards Easter, even in in Luke as Jesus is beginning to think about the cross, that you'd ask God, what what do I need to give up so that I can draw near to you in this time? To hear from you in in a fresh way. Uh, I wanted to recommend a book to you that I've been reading over the last couple of days, checking out as part of this for myself it's a, a book called A Journey to the Cross by Paul David Tripp. You can find it on Amazon or Crossway. And it's just a 40-day devotional for Lent. It has three-page devotionals with some associated scripture reading. And uh, it, it'll just help you along the way. And also, I'd encourage you, talk about these things of your kids as well. We've been talking about fasting with our kids. And you know what they're ready to fast from? They said, we'll give up school tomorrow, Mom. And homework right behind it, that'd be a really good thing to give up. But they did say video games and other things. But they also said, we're not giving up food, Dad. Like, that that's just not, not happening. <clears throat> so let's think about these things, talk about it with our family. All right, we're continuing in our series in Luke this week. You can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13 and 14. And, and listen, Jesus doesn't let up in these chapters like Luke 12, 13, and 14, these are some difficult things from Jesus. But I want you to see that Jesus is showing us grace by telling us what's coming and how we need to get ready. And so we need to hear from him, okay? And next week, we're going to hear a little more comforting words from Jesus as he tells us about the love of the Father. But let's listen to what Jesus has to say this week as he tells us how to be reconciled to God before it's too late. So much of what Luke is talking about in these chapters is that we have a need of repentance, that to be in God's kingdom and to follow him, we got to get right before God through repentance of our sin. In fact, that's how this chapter kicks off. Look at Luke 13, 1 through 5. Here the people are discussing two tragedies that have happened in Jerusalem with Jesus and one Several Galileans, it says, they were offering their sacrifices to God at the temple. And Pontius Pilate, the Roman go- uh, governor there, had them killed. And it said that their, their uh, blood was mixed with the sacrifices that they were giving. That's a grisly scene, right? The other one it talks about, they're talking about that there was a tower that had been built, obviously faulty, and it fell over and it killed 18 people. A great shocking tragedy. and Maybe we could think of the recent earthquakes that we've watched on TV where 50,000 people have lost their lives. One of the weekly mass shootings that goes on in our country. And Jesus asked this question, do you think these people that died in these tragedies were more bigger sinners than everybody else? Is that why... God allowed them to die? That's a good question, right? And here Jesus is addressing the worldview that many of us have towards God as we think about him, that he executes those that are bad and he rewards those that are good, that he gives good things to those that do good things and other people he puts away for their bad deeds. Maybe give it a name like karma, (laughs) This is how we think about God. The prevailing thought in that day was that people who died must have done more and worse sins to die so tragically. But the Bible always wrestles with this fact and says that may not be the case. In fact, we're going to study the book of Job later this summer and that's exactly what Job is wrestling with. God's justice in having him, a righteous person, suffer. But Jesus responds to these tragedies with the same answer in Luke three or thirteen, three and five. Look at what he says. Again, were these people worse sinners? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus is telling us here: you're asking the wrong question. It's not the important thing why these people died, but rather, are you ready to die next? Listen, death doesn't shock or throw God off his throne. In fact, he's in charge of it. In fact, he pronounced over all of humanity in Genesis 3, 9 that we would all die as a consequence of our sin. That's what we see all around us. We're all perishing because we have rebelled against God. Hebrews 9, 27 says it's appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. In fact, it's a grace that we get to live at all. When we look at these tragedies around us, they're meant to give us a glimpse of God's coming judgment. That's what Jesus is pointing here to. The spiritual judgment that is to come. That one day God is going to come and judge sinners and those that are with him will go with him to glory and those that are against him will perish forever. And Jesus says, if you want to be ready, you want to escape that, then the answer is to repent to acknowledge our sin before God say God I'm sorry that I have rebelled against you and begin walking with him Jesus tells us the right way to get the way to get right with God is to repent of our sin to place our faith in his son to receive his righteousness and that we will be with him we won't perish like those did and this is what God is graciously waiting for us to do. In fact, the very next story here, this, he tells this parable of the barren fig tree. And the point of this parable is to say, hey, look, this one tree is not producing fruit. It's not doing what it needs to do. And he asks the, the gardener asked the owner of the tree, can I just work with it one more year right before you cut it down? God says, go ahead. right. Let's see it bear fruit. God is gracious. He wants us to come to repentance. He doesn't want us to perish apart from Him. You know, just this week I watched as two friends encountered some great tragedies. I had a really godly friend from college who passed away on Monday. She's just a few years older than me, had been battling cancer for years. Godly woman, right? Another friend, a church planner, some of you heard about this, across town. Collapsed right after he was leading worship, had an aortic tear, rushed to the hospital by life light. Now God spared his life, right? He's he's healing him. He's in the process of being healed. I mean, praise God. Right? But Jesus says, Are you ready for your day? It's coming. And it can happen at any moment. And he says, Look at the tragedies going on in the world and let it remind you to be ready for God, to repent of your sins. I want to ask us, church, we're meant to be a people that are always repenting of our sins. In fact, some have said the life of a Christian is a life of repentance, right? That we're always saying, God, Forgive me for my sin. Help me to walk in your ways. Thank you for dying for me in your son. God, forgive me for your sins, for my sins. Help me to walk in the ways of Jesus. And so Jesus is asking us, what do we need to repent of today? What are the ways we've broken his commands? What are the things we worship in this world instead of God? Have we been apathetic towards God? How have we made ourselves our own gods and rejecting the true God? What are the things we need to repent of? And Jesus says the fruit of repentance is a right relationship with Him. That He accepts you and brings you into His kingdom. In fact, many of you have probably read about these revivals that are happening around the country. Maybe another great awakening. They're saying, this is cool, right? God's Spirit's moving. But you know why it's moving? Because his people are repenting. They're getting on their knees and they're saying, God, I am sorry for the ways that I have walked so far from you. Would you save me and help me walk in your ways? You want to see God and move in this city? We need to be a people of repentance. A people that ask God to forgive us of our sins. We model it for others so that they can come into the kingdom and find salvation in God's Son. And now here's the cool thing, as we're going to see. When we repent, we actually find freedom in God. It's counterintuitive. You think when you acknowledge your faults that you're actually going to still be in shame, but God says, you are free. Come on into the kingdom. In fact, look at this next story he teaches us here in Luke 13. It's about Sabbath freedom. Luke 13, 10 through 17, Luke 14, 1 through 6. Here we get two stories of Jesus healing people on the Sabbath. This first one, there's a woman who's been hunched over for 18 years. Right? And Jesus calls him to himself and says in Luke 13, 12, woman, you are freed from your disability as he lays hands on her, and she straightens up, and she is free. Jesus freed her from what's kept her in bondage so many years. Some of us need Jesus to straighten us out today. Right? We've been in bondage to things our sin our thoughts maybe illness Jesus says you come to me and I can make you free you come to me you'll be free similarly in Luke 14 there's a man who has dropsy this is this thing where you get edemic fluid in your body as your organs begin to fail and in front of the Pharisees here comes this man on the Sabbath and he asks the Pharisees is it lawful for me to heal this guy They're silent. And Jesus heals the guy. They won't answer him. And then he calls them to account. He says, look it, you would even heal your own animals on this day. You'd rescue them, but you won't rescue these people? You hypocrites. See, here's the cool thing. Jesus wasn't contradicting the Sabbath at all as they thought he was doing. He was actually fulfilling its very intent. Deuteronomy 5, 15 says this, that when you celebrate the Sabbath, that you remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, keep the Sabbath. It's saying on the Sabbath, you're supposed to celebrate that God frees those that are in bondage. And what's Jesus doing right here? He's freeing those that are in bondage so that we could know we can be free. Jesus is trying to show us by these miracles he's the one that offers true freedom. The question is, will we be offended by his work or will we let him work in our lives to get us free of our sin? Will we come to him and trust him so that we can be made free? How does Jesus need to straighten you out today? Now Luke 19.10 tells us that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. This is what the Gospel of Luke is all about. We are saved as we confess Jesus as Lord, we repent of our sins, and we enter into his kingdom as holy, perfect children of God. And then Jesus begins now to tell us what the kingdom of God is like in these chapters 13 and 14. In fact, he teaches us five really important things throughout the rest of these chapters about what the kingdom of God is like that he's inaugurating. Here's the first one, Luke thirteen eighteen through 25. He says, the kingdom of God is going to appear really small, but it's going to get really, really big. In fact, listen to what he says, verse 18. What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a big tree. And the birds of the air made their nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like the leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. In both of these, Jesus is saying the same thing. The kingdom of God is going to look really small at first, and then it's going to be, grow to be huge and pervasive everywhere. In fact, we know that the kingdom started with Jesus as its sole member, Then it was 12 disciples, and then these disciples began going to the nations until now we see the kingdom of God across the whole earth, to the ends of the earth. I like to think of Utah as the ends of the earth, right? You go to the backside of Antelope Island, that's the end of the earth, right? Right there. In 2022, there was 8 billion people in the world. And roughly a third of those, 2.7 billion, say Jesus is Lord, right? The kingdom of God is pervasive. From the poorest of the poor to the rich and famous to rulers of countries, the kingdom of God is growing and will never cease until it's everywhere. And listen, we're, we're to take heart at this, right? We live in Utah and we go, where's the kingdom of God? But I want to tell you, over the 30 years I've been here, Christianity has grown by leaps and bounds. And God is doing a special work in this city now. We're seeing people come to Jesus, even last Sunday at this church. People being baptized. Churches being planted. It's amazing. Take heart. God will do something, and it will never stop. (laughs) This church was planted 60 years ago in the basement of a department store in Holiday. Look where it is now. God's kingdom is growing. Be a part of what God is doing. Jesus tells us more about His kingdom. Look, second thing He tells us. There's only one way into the kingdom and there's a limited time to get in. Right? This sounds like a sales pitch, right? Act now before it's too late. That's what Jesus is kind of telling us here. Luke 13, 23, someone asked Jesus, Lord, who are... Will those be saved be few? This is a good question, right? How many people are actually going to get saved, God? And Jesus' response in 13.24, he says, Look, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter, but they won't find it. So he's saying it's not going to be many. There's going to be a lot to look for it. But there's only going to be a few that find the door to salvation. And where's the narrow door? Jesus said, it's me. I'm the door. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way to be saved in this world, to be made right with God, except through Christ. That's what he's saying. This is the way into the kingdom. There's nowhere else. I had a friend this week that was telling me about some street evangelism they were doing. And listen, this is a great time to share Jesus with people. There's never been a kinder time. We think it's not. But he was saying I'd share Jesus and they'd say, you know, that's great for you and I'm glad you believe that. And that might help the world somewhere. But it's just not for me. Right? This is an open invitation. People don't even get mad. They just say, nah. Right? Share Jesus with people. But Jesus is telling us, whatever you think, there's only one way into the kingdom, and it's through me. And we got to get out there and tell people. we got to help them find this door. There's only one way that this world is going to get healed of its brokenness. Paul says it's groaning. This world is groaning for the Son of God to be revealed. And it's a gracious thing that God tells us the way. It's a gracious thing that he warns us. There's only one way, and the door is shutting soon. In fact, Jesus goes on in Luke 13, 25 through 30 to say there's a limited time to walk through that door. He says there's a time coming when the master of the house is going to come and shut the door to salvation. And we need to get in before it's shut. In fact, look at what the people say in thirteen twenty-five. The people that are outside, they say, Lord, open the door to us once it's been shut. And then he'll answer, I do not know where you come from. Then you'll, they'll begin to say, well, but we ate and we drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he'll say, I tell you, I don't know where you came from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself are cast out. Listen, this is, this is a complex and a bit scary of a story. Right? These are the stories of Jesus that keep me up at night. Right? I don't want to be the guy banging on the door who can't get in. This is a sobering teach, teaching that some people in Luke 13, they were acquainted with Jesus they, they knew Him. They ate with Him. They listened to His teachings and thought, man, that's pretty stimulating, Jesus. You ought to put that on YouTube. But somehow they didn't enter the kingdom. And it's a scary thing that we could come to church and hang out with Christians, listen to K-Love, be happy, and never be a Christian. These people had not repented of their sin and had not made Jesus their Lord, and they had missed their opportunity. It's not unlike the picture we get of Noah and his family in Genesis 7 the ark carrying them through God's judgment in the world while others are drowning and banging and clawing trying to get in the ark. It's a sobering thought. But I want you to see that God graciously tells us these things. He's telling us, he's giving us these warnings so that we wouldn't miss the boat. They're meant to stir our spirit to make a decision to follow Jesus. And he's talking about the Jews that rejected him and they were going to miss their time and they would miss out on everything that God had for them. But there would be others that would listen to Jesus Look at what Luke 13, 29-30 says. He said, while some are locked out, others will come from the east and from the west and from the north and the south and they would recline at the kingdom of God and behold, some who are last would be first and some who are first would be last. And he's saying there will be people from all over the world that will find themselves in the kingdom of God because they repented and trusted in Christ. And if you are here today, you get to hear the words of Jesus taught. You may even go to lunch with other believers and drink in the presence of Christ that dwells in Him. But don't miss the opportunity to make your life a follower of Jesus. Hebrews 13.15 or 3.15 says, Today if you hear the voice of Christ, don't harden your heart. Come to Him. Put your trust in Him. Jesus' invitation to you is, come in the door. It's still open. Trust in Me. Repent of sin, find freedom, and dwell with me forever. Because this may be the only chance you get, right? Watch out for towers, right, this afternoon. It could be over. And Jesus also tells us this about the kingdom, that coming to Christ is an act of humility. Luke 14, 1 through 6. Here Jesus observes a wedding and the way the invited guests sit at tables in different locations of honor. And apparently, there may have been a comical rushing for the best seats, you know, kind of like when the musical chairs, music stops, and everybody tries to cram into the best seats. He tells us, it's best not to go to a wedding and sit in the highest place of honor, because the, the one who invited you may say, you need to go sit over here. It's better to go sit in the low place and have him invite you up, right? One time, Amy and I went to a fancy wedding, and by accident, this happened to us, <laughs> We sat at the wedding party's table. I was doing the wedding. We had just made friends with somebody, sitting there drinking and eating with them. And suddenly, the wedding party sits down at the table, and there wasn't enough seats. And graciously, they said, you guys can stay there. We'll just add some seats. But we were really embarrassed, right? We would have rather been sitting over here and them say, hey, come on up to the table. And Jesus says here, we need to come to him in humility. That's what he wants to tell us. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus' bigger point is that we need to humble ourselves to enter the kingdom of God. It's a humbling thing to say, God, I need to repent of my sin, to set down our pride and to come to him. But it says if we will humble ourselves in repentance, bow a knee to Jesus, then later he will exalt us. Romans eight seventeen says we are co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom of heaven if we will suffer with him we will be exalted and glorified with him ask God to help you set down your pride so that you can repent of your sin and come into the kingdom and then we get to go to the party right you know the whole bible's going towards a party i think that's a pretty awesome thing salvation is likened to marriage Christ is the groom we are the bride. He lays down his life for us. We respond to his love. And then Romans uh, Revelation 19, 6 through 10 tells us that at the end of days when we're in heaven, it's going to be a party and you want to be there as we celebrate our marriage to Christ. Now as he's at this wedding feast, he also tells the person who's thrown this party that the kingdom citizens care for those in need. Look what he says in Luke 14, 12 through 14. He says, When you give a dinner and a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you're repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed, for they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I want you to see here, God's heart is to help people that can't help themselves. That's what part of what Jesus is teaching us here. And part of what he's saying to us is that if you want to be helped by Jesus, you've got to see yourself as spiritually poor and crippled and blind. In fact, this is why Jesus came. We're, we're stuck in our sins. We have no way to get up and walk into the door of salvation. We owe a great debt to the king of the universe. And God sent His Son to pay the debt, cleanse us from our sins, and to pick us up and carry us through the door of salvation. In fact, Mark 2.17, Jesus says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And may God fill this church with broken people and sinners that are finding freedom in God. If you are here and you are broken, Jesus invites you to the wedding feast. In fact, he's thrown the party for you. He wants you there. Likewise, Jesus calls us as citizens of the kingdom to take on the same heart for those who are broken. To care for people who are not like us, who are different than us. This is the heart of God that he's showing. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, it calls us, Take on the same mind of Christ who left heaven to serve those that are broken and in need. He asks us to do the same. We ought to be a community that's willing to serve those that are in need. And Jesus says, if you'll serve like this, you'll be blessed. If you serve like this, whatever resources you give away, whatever time you get away, when you get to heaven, here comes the reimbursement check. It's going to be a really really good day, your efforts will not be wasted. In fact, this is how we store up treasures in heaven. We give up of our resources, our money, our time, everything of who we are so that others can be served and know the name of Jesus and come into the kingdom. So how is God calling you to serve those in need around you in our community and in our world? We ought to find places to serve those that are in need. How can you lay your life down for the sake of others so they can come into the kingdom. Finally, here, the fifth thing he teaches us about the kingdom of God is this, that everyone is invited. I love this. Luke 14, 15 tells us that when the the man, a man who was at this wedding feast heard what Jesus was saying, he exclaimed, blessed is everyone who will eat the bread of the kingdom of God. He's right, right? That's a true statement because they'll be they'll be eating with Jesus in heaven at the best party that's ever going to happen. But Jesus goes on to tell a parable about this future wedding banquet. In fact, he says this. He, tells, he says there's many who are invited, but there's going to be a lot or we're going to make excuses and they're not going to make it. In fact, he tells us in Luke 14, 18, one man says, "Ah, oh, well, I bought a field and I need to go inspect it. That is the dumbest excuse ever, Right? It's not like he bought this sight on scene on eBay. He's already seen the field. Another says, oh, I bought some cows. I need to go inspect them. Come on, man. Another says he's just married and he can't come. Priorities. All these are saying things of the world are more important than what Jesus has to offer. At worst, it's saying I'm even disinterested. Right? Right? What excuses do we make? Got more important things to do on Sunday morning? Is Netflix show more urgent than time with God? What excuses do we make? Why don't we engage with God? Why don't we take up His offer and trust Him? The servant comes back and reports all these excuses to the master, and the master's a little irritated. He says, you know what, go out and get the poor, the broken, the crippled. The servant goes out, gets all of them, comes back, got those guys. God, who else? He says, go out and get anybody who will come. Go to the hedges, in the far places, the streets. Anybody is invited, bring them in. And as he has throughout these chapters, Jesus is talking about the nation of Israel who was invited to follow him first and said, no, thank you. In fact, Jesus pictures himself as a hen, like this in Luke thirteen, who tried to gather the people of Israel, Jerusalem, under his wing, and they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't come. This morning, I would say I come to you as one who tries to be a servant of Jesus, saying you're invited to the feast. Jesus says you're invited. Come broken, come hurting, come to the feast. Come through repentance and faith in Christ. He wants you there. He wants to make you clean. He wants to eat with you. He wants to fellowship with you forever. And Jesus invites all to come, especially of those of us that are broken and sick and hurting. But then finally here as we come to a close of these chapters and Banjing, come on up. In Luke 14, 25 through 33, Jesus wants us to count the costs of following him. These are some of the hardest sayings in the Bible. Jesus wants us to know what it's going to cost us if we say we're his. Luke 14:26 through 27 and then again verse 33 it says if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me can't be my disciple. So therefore, if any one of you will not renounce all that he has, he can't be my disciple. This is a hard saying, Jesus. He wants us to know that following Him will cost us everything about our lives. It may cost you your family, may cost you your comfort. Some of us have felt both of these. may cost you all of your worldly possessions because making Jesus your Lord of your life means He's in charge of everything. It's no longer my own. I give it all back to you. My family. My possessions. Who I am. The things I like. What do you want me to do now, Jesus? But listen... Is it worth it? (laughs) Absolutely, yes. In fact, there is no better person in the world to entrust our lives to than the one who made us. The one who says, I love you. I want things to go really well for you. I want to bless you. I want to walk with you. He can offer us things that satisfy us in ways untold from this world. He wants us to invite us to his wedding feast. I was talking with a friend yesterday while we were skiing at the wee hours of the morning and uh, we said, you know, if it's a choice between Jesus or my stuff, you just come on over and grab my stuff. I don't want it, right? It doesn't satisfy. One day I'm going to leave it behind. But I want to be at the wedding feast of Jesus. I want to be with him forever. And Jesus says, it'll cost you everything, but it's going to be worth it. And this is how we come to Jesus. We confess with our mouth that he is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, believing he is truly the son of God. God did a miracle through him so that our sins would be washed away. Then we, got, we say, God, take my sins. I want your righteousness Forgive me of the things I've done and I want to follow you. Teach me how. As we come to a close this morning, we're going to give you time to respond to the word of God. You know, we're going to sing this song, Christ is enough. (laughs) That following Jesus is better than the things of this world. I want you to make that your prayer. Sing it as an offering to God. God, you're, you're enough. Following Jesus is enough. We're going to sing this refrain. I've decided to follow Jesus. We know how to do it. We know what it costs. Now we've got to make a decision. Are we going to do it? And for you this morning, maybe it means coming to Him for the first time. You know, we had three people last week that said, God, I want to follow Jesus for my life. It's amazing. Don't miss out. It can be your Sunday to come follow Jesus. For others, maybe you need to come and repent. I'm going to invite you to come kneel up here. If you need to repent, just repent of some things. Big, small, whatever it is. You can come up here. We're going to have our prayer team around the room, some in the back, some in the front. Pastor Kevin and me, you can come pray with us. Come and repent of sin. For some of us, we just need to let go of the things of the world. What's God asking you to give up? What's God asking you to give up so you can commune with Him? Come and get free this morning. That's Jesus' invitation to you so that you can be at the banquet with Him. Make, I have decided to follow Jesus, your words of response this morning. Let's sing together.